Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Dominic Fifield of The Guardian. We thought it was a simple story. Hail his managerial genius and watch the trophies pile up. So much for that. Pep Guardiola has been underwhelming to say the least. He's ruled City out of the title race. The question is, John, can they make the top four? Well, that's the battle. I mean, they never saw this coming. I think they thought that they would sustain a Premier League title challenge this season. And they have descended into a team that's barely better than last season. I mean, if you add up the stats, they're actually two points better off than Pellegrini at the same stage last season after 21 games. But the crucial difference was last season was that they were within three points of the top. Now it's 10 points. And I have to say, I was at Goodison and they looked so poor. I mean, the goalkeeping decision was one that Guardiola put his neck on the line for to replace Hart with Bravo. Bravo's been a disaster. The back four is ageing, creaking. I mean, the full-backs are good old pros, but they're just not what Guardiola needs to do the system. Yaya Torre, 33 years of age, backed up by Zabaleta, who is not the athlete that he once was at 31. And they were wasteful in their finishing to boot as well. De Bruyne, who had a brilliant first half, just faded away and was let down by the standard of finishing, really. And I just think that City, they've spent a lot of money. And yes, they've been unlucky with injuries, particularly Gungudan. And obviously they're missing Fernandinho through suspension again. But they just... They're not making any sort of tangible progress, really. And I think, for me, Guardiola's got me major questions. And, I mean, the, the, the welcome that we gave him was spectacular. But to me, it seems like there's almost an element here of Emperor's New Clothes. Everything that he says, you know, we all believed in, we all indulged him. And actually, yesterday, his submission and his kind of excuses in a very mumbled press conference in the way that he meekly actually surrendered the title, I just thought was laughable. Mm, Taking that point, Dom, you know, he looked a picture of complete misery after that. He hates press conferences anyway, we know that. Mm. Watching him, the thought did occur, he might walk away from this, what do you think? I'd be surprised, I'd be amazed, I think that would be, I I think you'd repair your reputation if you walk away from a project like this. Um, I mean, where do you go from here? He, he has to make this work ultimately over the course of his contract to, at Manchester City. I, I thought it wasn't just his press conference, his demeanour on the bench looked like he was he'd beaten I and mean, he looked absolutely baffled with what was going on uh, in front of him out on the pitch. But I just think it's just illustrated that, 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 that there was a bit of mismanagement last summer. That, that they knew that he was coming in a long time back. They could have made greater inroads in the right areas in the transfer market to have got this team playing more at the style that he, he wants. And 
and have have the, the personnel in place when he came in. I, he just it just feels like the early days of a revolution at the moment, and um, I think everybody anticipated, as John just said, I think everybody anticipated it being a quicker process and that, that, that they'd be further down the road towards a Pep Guardiola team than they are at the moment. The defence is a shambles and they haven't really addressed the ageing issue of the side. That said, I know he's ruled them out of the title race, but of the teams in that division, amongst that top six, they are one of those that can go on a 10-game winning streak because they've already done it once this season. So it's not outlandish to think that they will have another sequence of results if they, you know, if they get players back to fitness and to form um, and Aguero gets scoring again and gets into you know, proper areas because I thought he was very peripheral yesterday. He was desperate, desperately peripheral. I'm not sure he has the hunger to get on the end of those crosses. Mm. Whereas, I, th- I mean, I love Aguero. I think Aguero, if everyone is fit and firing and on their best form and confidence... I still believe that Aguero is the best classic centre forward, if you like, um, in in the Premier League. Mm. I, I think he's fantastic. His 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 movement, his power, his strength, his turning, and I just don't feel at the moment that that either City are playing to his strengths. We heard a lot about kind of the the offensive manager and the coach that Guardiola was, and I just don't feel that there is a perhaps an, almost an understanding between manager and, and star player to get the best out of Aguero at all. I mean, I was encouraged in the summer by noises that Guardiola would go and coach and improve players like Sterling, for example. And I think there's no doubt about it, they're slightly better de- offensively than defensively. But it's really worrying when I look at defenders like John Stones and Stones is getting caught out again and again and again. I think mm. you, you get, you get is, that level is of expectation. John Stones? With big prices. John Stones or Pep Guardiola? John Stones? John Stones. Uh, No, he's not a myth. I think he's got all the raw ingredients to be Mm. fantastic. But I do think if if you're in a team that defensively plays on the edge, and Bravo is a case in point, he's forever taking risks, and we're led to believe that the manager wants him to take those risks. If Stones is taking them, there will be occasions when he is caught out. He's a young defender. Maybe he makes the wrong decisions in certain areas of the pitch at times, as we, as we know, in fairness. And because he's an English young defender, someone that we have pinned our hopes on in terms of the national team, they're highlighted and we, we don't, you know, we're relentless in terms of the scrutiny fixed upon him. I don't think he's a myth, though. I think he's a ball-playing centre-half and exactly the type of player that we should be cultivating and hoping that we can build a national team around defensively. But, but it's a good question as to whether, in actual fact, Guardiola is the man to bring out that side of him because you'd imagine that Guardiola will be happy that he takes these risks. Whereas if you've got a sort of more defensive-minded conventional manager that was sort of drumming in the basics of defending, then maybe he would have developed that side of this game more. It's, it's an interesting point. You, you were there, mm. John. Tom Davis, you know, star is born mm. stuff, wasn't it, really? You know, I've seen him play for the England under-19s. And uh, to be honest, you look at him and you think, is there a fractional lack of pace? But ability to create a pass... Industry. He's a bit of a throwback with that sort of 90s haircut yeah. and the socks rolled down. What struck me about that was would a player like that have made it into a Manchester... If he was at Manchester City, would have he have got those opportunities? And is there the trust from Guardiola about the youth system that is at City? Like, if you look at Iannaccio, he doesn't really fancy him. You can see that because he doesn't trust him enough. Yeah, possibly... 
I do think Davis is, is a great example, a great case in point, because I think he certainly needed the right platform and the right club and the right manager. And I think he's clearly got that at Everton. I mean, you're right. I mean, he's born 1999, isn't he? But, I mean, he's got their hair cut straight out of a 90s boy band. It's fantastic. And I lo- fans want to relate to a homegrown talent that they can really say, look, actually, that's what I dreamed of as being as a kid. Mm. And, and they love it. And his raw energy, his enthusiasm. I mean, he, you know, he's not the most polished of players, but he's just got this incredible energy. And, I mean, the finish yesterday was brilliant. He was absolutely all over the place. You could make a really strong case for him, man of the match. You know, I thought Lukaku was absolutely terrific as well, Morales, and I think Barkley played well. But uh, Davis is real like a breath of fresh air. But he's also rather like Maurizio Pochettino does at Spurs. You've got to have that confidence and belief that actually if you carry on working really, really hard, you will get your opportunity. A City's kid's going to get that, you know, feeling and vibe when they look at that squad and there's still the lack of opportunity. City have got a whole cluster of kids that I keep on hearing about. Mm. I speak to a lot of but they're know, not, youth they're, coaches. They're, and, they're usually 14, 15, 16, yeah. so they're saying, wait. Well, know. there's one that a lot of people are talking about who's sort of kind of, what is he now, 16? And it'll be really interesting Jordan, to see. Sancho. No, well, I was thinking of Diaz, actually. Yeah, but, but yeah. you know, he's, he's another one. And they just think, look, you know, it'll be interesting. That is the acid test for me. For City, but you're right in Ian Acho because Ian Acho, if you look at his strike rate, his ratio, it's magnificent. Mm-hmm. And sooner or later, you've got to say, Look, with a player like that, we've got to find a place for his stats in the team mm-hmm. because right. he, he's great. But I, I, that's I, a scenario with any big club, though, yeah. isn't it? I mean, Davis has got his, his chance at Everton largely because of injuries throughout. I mean, Balassi was playing, it was mm. fit, he'd have been in that team yesterday, and presumably, you know, the long, mm. young lad would have missed out. And Lookman. They might not have even gone in for Lutman in this window mm. as well. I mean, it's it's about opportunity and the depth of quality. And I think that City obviously got a, a greater depth of senior players at their yeah. at their club. But don't, but don't don't some clubs like City sort of kind of if they're missing, say a right back, they'll convert a centre half or something like that rather than take that's like a, but that's Liverpool the of the, Alexander uh, Arnold yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, that's true. the difference. Yeah. And I just feel that Liverpool, Fair you can't point, yeah. say that. And I just think there's certain managers that will go, all right then, yeah. he'll give you a chance. And Klopp's one of them, certainly. Yeah. Pochettino's the brilliant advocate of it, I yeah. think the best. And it's great to see Koeman, I think, do, sort of taking a, mm. well, not a punt, but a good given opportunity. It'll be justified, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There'll be a huge focus on the manager uh, next weekend, you know, the BT Sport game, mm. City against Spurs. Pochettino, win percentage, I think, something like 47.5% against Pep. There are bound to be comparisons made. How would you compare their personalities and their approach to the game, Don? Well, I, th- I think there's probably a bit more pragmatism to Pochettino. They've both got their philosophies. They have got their philosophies. But I think that it's almost like that Guardiola is so rigid in the way he wants his team to play that he, it doesn't matter. He'll arrive at a club and he'll expect everybody to suddenly adopt what he wants. And I think Pochettino probably looks at it in a bit more pragmatic way and, and thinks, well, OK, let's get by for a while. Let's teach the way that I want them to play and bring out the, the best. The faith in youth is, is an interesting one. I, I, Harry Winks being yep. the case in point, really, at the moment. Who I just, every time I see him, I just think he's, he looks a proper player and somebody that, that Pochettino was willing to chuck into a North London derby at the Emirates earlier this season, wasn't he? And it, mm. Initially, you, your instinct's like, my, well, that's a big call, that. But actually, the kid justifies his inclusion every time he's, he's picked, virtually. 
so maybe there are maybe I mean Pochettino's further down the line in the t- development of his his team than Guardiola is, but at the moment <laughs> their reputations are going in different directions. Yeah, yeah. What on what you've seen, John? Do you expect Tottenham to beat City next week? No, I think you'll get a reaction from City, and I'm going to sit firmly on the fence and go for a draw. <laughs> no, look, I, 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 look, Spurs are in better form, and I think they'll go really close for the title this season. But I think also to go to City, I think it's a huge ask to go and win there. Maybe they can do it. If I was back in a team to win, it would be Tottenham. But I just feel surely, surely City will get a reaction together for Pep Guardiola because that performance yesterday was so abject that really Guardiola's got to prove what he's about this week. And I think even if he's a little bit more pragmatic in his approach and his team selection in the way that he picks a a lineup. I just feel that he's got to make sure that they don't lose. And I mean, it's a huge ask. But I, look, if I was back in the team, it would be Tottenham. But I just, just feel that safety first. City have got to get a result of some kind, and I think it might be a draw. Mm. Yeah, we talked about John Stones in, a, in almost like an international context, mm. Dom. Um, Deli Alley and Harry Kane. You know, they, they've. Scored five goals each. Basically, the last ten goals that Spurs have scored. They've got a great understanding amongst you know that little scoop pass yeah, was fantastic. Yeah. How important are Ali and Kane going forward? Not just for Tottenham, their club, but for the country. Huge, absolutely huge. At the start of the season when Dali Ali wasn't actually in the Spurs team every week, mm. and he's sort of a hangover from last season and maybe the summer at the Euros as well. Spurs didn't have the same dynamism to them that we expected and we, we saw for a large portion of last term. But they are a type of players, attacking players, that you can build a forward line around. And I'm sure Gareth Southgate is thinking exactly the same thing with England. I mean, it, we don't get blessed that often with players of this quality coming through at a national level with England. And, and, and there are two there that, that, that could be part of the national team for well, you know, another five, six, seven years or whatever and really be playing a key part in that period. They're brilliant to watch. They're absolutely brilliant. And the understanding, which seems to be really developing properly this mm. this year, it's been outstanding. It's just been superb to watch. But key to that team is the energy and the dynamism that they bring going forward. And that'll be where City, if they do come on start, that'll be because they can't cope with the pace, the movement and the invention of that front four at Spurs. Yeah, and also the, the full-backs bombing on. They're, they're probably the best pair of full-backs in the Premier League, aren't they're they? They're just magnificent, aren't they? aren't they? I mean, I love Danny Rose. I mean, D- Danny Rose, I just think, is absolutely fantastic. He's everything that I think a Premier League footballer should be. He's just, he's so strong, he's so committed. You know, he really puts his body on the line, I think, for the team. He'll do anything for the team. He drives forward, he defends well, he's worked at his game. Look, I don't think he's the most naturally gifted player. And I think a few years ago, if you'd said, you know, to Spurs fans, it'll be Danny Rose, and I'm not sure about that. And he's just improved and improved and improved. His energy and his desire is amazing. And I do think Walker is an undervalued player in many ways, because I still think... We look for Walker to sort of kind of trip himself up a little bit in that basically he had a brilliant spell when he first broke into the Tottenham team, had a year of almost decline and admittedly obviously he had an injury problem as well, but he wasn't pl- even when he was playing, he wasn't playing particularly well. And the renaissance 
recently under Pochettino in the last year, 18 months, has been magnificent. He really has come back. And those two, they're a nightmare to play against because either if they play in a three at the back or they play in a flat back four, those two guys, attack is the best form of defence. It's a wonderful team spirit. You can tell that they're all together. You know, sort of the, you know, Ali and Dyer are brilliant pals. They're so tight. And there's, there's relationships that right throughout the whole team. They've got, I think, arguably the best centre-half in the Premier League in Alderweireld. Mm. He's magnificent. Mm. Will the Vertonghen's injury be a problem for well, them? Well, the only thing was that last season they suffered something similar. And, 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 you know, in fairness, then they found a different way. And, you know, Vimmer might again sort of kind of come in. And I think that they can, Dyer can they, play the Dyer can play yeah. there. And it opens it up for other opportunities. Because, look, I think the only thing I think about Spurs is that the one flaw is that I think Dembélé is absolutely outstanding, one of the best players, but who plays alongside him? Mm. And I think last year, I think Dyer offers defence and actually progression, whereas I think Wanyama tends to just sit. And that's fine as long as the team is structured well. But I think that Spurs, if they can find that balance and that settled team, I mean, nine times out of ten they play the same way, but basically, I just think they'll go very, very close in the title race this year because they've got a team at the top of their game, full of confidence. They've got a lovely balance. And if they can get the best out of these players, Dembele should be midfielder of the year. He's magnificent. Mm -hmm. What about Liverpool, Don? You know, they play in the, another BT Sport game on Saturday at Swansea. Then they've got their uh, FA Cup replay before that where you'd assume that Klopp will probably play the kids. Are they viable title contenders in your eyes? Well, they would need to recapture the form of the back end of last year pretty quickly and generate another run of wins to convince themselves, I think, that they can claim the title. I think this is their mid-season stutter, by the look of things. They've yet to win this year, no, we're only mid-January, but those are costly points being dropped. Um, not so much at Old Trafford, but the, ho the, the, the draw at Sunderland was, mm. was annoying, and that's an infuriating drop of points for Klopp. And, and I think that it's untimely that Sadio Mane's not around. I mean, he, it shows the impact that he's made that suddenly they're missing him so much. The hope was that Coutinho would come back in and sort of fill the, fill the gap. That, it's uh, early days on that. They're just yeah. introducing him in the last half an hour. Exactly, they? yeah. And, and, and maybe, you know, if his rehabilitation had been two weeks further down the line, they may be winning games now. Um, he was playing, you know, as he had been in the autumn uh, when he was outstanding. I just look at them and think that there are issues there that are still to be addressed. They're making massive progress. They're, they're, I think they were, they were mid-table virtually. I think they had 39 points this time last year. So they are making progress on, on, in terms of where they were. But I still think there's some more tweaking to do to get them to become you know, proper title contenders. They're still in that, in that top group, though. And in all honesty, I mean, there are five clubs there that are Gatsby and Chelsea's vapor trail still. I mean, they're, 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 they're still well off Chelsea. Five points um, from second place. Was it seven points? Seven, seven, seven points, points from second place. Mm. Uh, and that, I think, is more a reflection of how wonderfully well Antonio Conte's done, really. Because I don't... Strangely, when you look at the Chelsea squad, it's almost... It's comparable to all these others. I mean, they shouldn't be that far ahead, but the manager has had a magnificent impact. And... I think the other contenders, people like Klopp, will be looking at and thinking, well, we should be doing slightly better than we are. Mm, you, you, you know, busy boy this weekend. You, you were <laughs> at Leicester as well on yeah. Saturday. What was the lasting impression left on you by Chelsea? That they will be champions. I just think they are 
I mean, they weren't even necessarily at their absolute best on Saturday. I don't think they need to be. I think Leicester are a real worry. I don't think they're playing at all well. Yeah, Ranieri is talking about being in a relegation dogfight. Understandably so, because, you know, if he's looked at that team performance on Saturday, he's every right to be worried. I mean, they're sick from bottom, five points above the drop zone. I mean, that is that's serious because basically it's an unforgiving fixture list as well that they've got coming up I know everyone says that at this time of year but they've got difficult away games and the next home game is Man United well good luck with that because they're just not they're just not playing at all well but Chelsea look all the controversy all the Diego Costa fallout and you know that's a huge story that could undermine and threaten and sort of you know bring dark clouds over any title challenge because certain teams or squads and managers could be derailed by that. Conte, so cool, so calm. I mean, even joking with, 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 you know, sort of almost a punter in the press room, sort of having a, you know, piece of his cake uh, in the press conference. And he spoke really well. He dismissed it, obviously, as a back injury, as you might expect him to do. And hopefully he'll be back in... in... But look, the little glint in his eye gives away that, that basically there's something more to it. Obviously, we know that there is. And even to the Monday papers, he was talking about how China and money isn't everything. And, you know, the Premier League is competitive. Mm. But it wasn't just that. It was the way that they found a way, a, a different way of playing. Hazard as the false nine. Pedro was, was terrific as well. William as well. Matty. I mean, he was absolutely fabulous the way he bossed the game. Because he had a massive dip, didn't he, last yeah, season? Yeah, he was brilliant on Saturday. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. And I can't help but love Conte. You know, he's, he's an infectious, enthusiastic guy who's just gripped me. Of all the superstar managers that have arrived, and I do like Klopp as well, I think Klopp's engaging, fantastic. But Conte, for me, is the biggest story of all. Yeah. Uh, you know, how, how do you find Because you've got, you've got the Chelsea campaign medals, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> how do you find him? Uh, I, he's endearing, charming, and bloody good at his job. Mm. Bottom line, I think it's remarkable what he's done. I, I echo what John said. I thought, I looked at Chelsea after that Arsenal game and they looked broken. And I think there was an element in Conte as well that he, he was shocked by how bad they'd been that day. I do think there was a bit of self-doubt in him for a period after that match. I mean, we're talking in the immediate aftermath of, of that defeat. But he snapped out, out of it and pragmatic and practical enough to, to come up with a solution, which initially was the formation, but the bond, the, the teamwork, the, the momentum that they've generated since is startling. And I think for a, a manager to come in to a league that he knew nothing really about other than you know, as an interested observer from afar, to have the impact that he's had it's truly stunning what he's done. And look, they should now go on to win it. The Costa thing is a test. It's a test of Conte and a different kind of test. But I still think it's something that he's going to overcome. I still think that Diego Costa will play a part in that Chelsea title charge of the rest of the season. What happens in the summer is, a, is a, anyone's guess at the moment, but I think we know where it's likely to go. But I think where, where do you think it will go? I think he'll go to China in the summer. I think he'll leave. But, mm. but, but it was interesting this morning, looking at there was some news coming out of China, that um, there was a lot of talk about, there was some disapproval, official disapproval, mm. about what they called the irrational salaries being offered. Mm. That tells me, and they've just cut down the number of foreign players who can go into the squads, mm -hmm. I think it's three per team now. Yeah. Are China looking at this and thinking, well, this is, this is affecting our image... 
has someone like Costa maybe even missed the boat? I don't think so. Personally, I think I think um, I really I really don't. I, th- I think I think there will be options for him further down the line um, to go there. I think if he wins a Premier League title and he scored 25 goals winning a Premier League title, which he will do by the look of things, he's got 14 already, he gets back into that side, I think it will be still considered to be a coup by any Chinese club to take him. I think the ones, uh, the one that is in, very interested in him has been mentioned in the papers, have only filled up two of their three slots anyway, so they could get him. Chinese government officials saying salaries obscene. I don't know, I think, I think that, 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 that game and the superstar status that these guys are going to enjoy over there. I think there'll be plenty of Chinese clubs sponsored by their companies and government sponsorship that will still look to, to bring in Diego Costa. And are, are we being, you know, I understand the view of a fan, because they live their football club. But if you're involved in the game, mm. you pretty much know that loyalty doesn't exist. So when we talk about Costa and we talk about Paye, really, we're talking about a business decision, aren't we? Yeah, of course we are. Look, I do think the only thing that I sort of ride back on, and, and I can understand players sort of going abroad, why has a, a French star who has gone on strike previously got any particular loyalty to West Ham? Yes, they pay his wages, he signed the contract, but if he can get out and force his reasons you know, upon West Ham to let him go, I know he sort of says about there's a family issue and he's homesick, but ultimately he wants to go back to Marseille and, and he's very clear in that. I'm not absolutely convinced that he'll, he'll earn more in Marseille. He might even earn less, but he just wants to go back to France. So I'm not getting out the violins here for Payet, but we can't on the one hand kind of try and tempt them across by all the riches that the Premier League can offer and then get all high and mighty about it. I mean, I do think in many regards, we're, we're very predictable in the media, myself <laughs> included, that basically we go, oh my God, that's shocking and absolutely devastating. And then 48 hours later say, oh, well, what do you expect kind of thing, you know, and have a sort of a rail back of sort of various column pieces and sort of say, well, what did you expect anyway? We can't force this loyalty. Where I think the difference is, and people say, oh, what does the Premier League expect? They do it themselves, is when I think the Premier League first tempted a lot of, big-name foreign stars over in the first instance with more money than Spain and Italy were offering, and they were the direct rivals at the time. They could offer a competitive league. And I think where I think that Costa and perhaps even Alexis Sanchez moving forward, because, you know, the money on offer to him is huge as well. And, you know, it's very real, that threat um, to China, is that the difference is that China at the moment don't have a respected top class league they're trying to establish that but basically i think that's the difference at the moment whereas the players were coming across to play english football a different way and yes the riches tempted them away as well they're only going to china for one reason but i go back to the fact can you really blame costa born in poverty grew up you know in in brazil where's his loyalty to to english football it's not beyond that i mean Diego Costa was playing in a very competitive league. I mean, with Atletico Madrid and mm. a good Atletico Madrid team. Mm. And he only came to England for one reason as well. Mm. He, d- he didn't come because the football was going to be competitive. I mean, just be, let's be honest. He yeah. came because Chelsea were offering a shed load of money mm. to do that. And I think there's a pragmatism there. And I think Chelsea would concede that Diego Costa has no loyalty to life in London, to life in the Premier League. 
you know, he's, as far as he's concerned, he's probably as far away from Brazil now as he's ever going to be. He goes to China, he's not going to be that... He won't feel further away from his mm. home. That's just the way it is. With Arsenal, you, you mentioned Sanchez. Mm. It looks like Ozil is making very sort of cooing noises towards the club. Probably something will be done there. Mm. Arsenal play Burnley this week. Just want to dwell a little bit on Burnley. One of the viewers, Nick Ward, has asked us to talk about Sean Dyche. Mm. Highest placed British manager in the Premier League at the moment. And he asks, is it time to give him some credit? Well, I do. I really like Sean Dyche. I think he is... I, I do understand where, where it's come from on that, simply because I think that, that basically, I think we're very, very quick to jump on Eddie Howe and say that Eddie Howe should be next manager of this big club, next manager of England and what have you. And I think sometimes Sean Dyche is rather forgotten on that. And I think that Sean Dyche deserves so much credit. I think he's now well above relegation zone drop, isn't it? It's an amazing achievement that here we are. I know it's only, you know, third week of January, but basically here we are. We were discussing off air beforehand about who are the relegation contenders and Burnley doesn't come into our conversation. Their home form is fantastic. I think he's a brilliant manager. His man management is outstanding. He's a very down-to-earth, humble guy. I remember doing sort of a sit-down with him he was just saying, look, I'm just an ordinary guy. There's nothing more than what I like is basically getting away from, you know, football. I don't like the whole football image and going out on a Friday night with me mates. It's, it's good, you know. It's, mm. He wants to be like that. He's, not, he's got no airs and graces. He's got no prima donna about him. For me, I think he's the outstanding young British manager. I totally agree with, with that. I do think sometimes, I don't know why, things seem to be driven and it seems to be a bit more driven behind Eddie Howe for reasons I can't begin to understand rather than Sean Dyche. But well, Dyche Eddie, Eddie, ha- more Eddie Howe credit. looks like he's the boy band. Maybe. And Sean Dyche is the bouncer on the door stopping the, the girls getting into the boy band yeah. concert. With, 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 uh, with, uh, analogy. Sean, <laughs> with, with Sean, uh, what strikes me about him, you know, talking to Joey Barton about him, is that he's got huge respect for him as a man and also as a football man, you know, really rigorous. He gets the whole idea of preparation being the key. Mm-hmm. Is that what come across to you? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, that's his reputation is forged on that and, and what this ultimate professionalism about him, but in the same way that, that people talk about Eddie Howe, actually. Mm. And I guess if you're going to compete at this elite level at clubs of the size of Burnley and Bournemouth... I suppose Burnley would consider themselves maybe slightly higher up, although Bournemouth have been in the Premier League longer. You have to give yourself an edge in some way, and you have to cover every single base. And Dyche has got the appetite to do that. He's done fantastically well. I thought the way that he coped with relegation and bounce back last mm. year was admirable. And he's clearly learnt a lot from that first year in the Premier League, which didn't go so well. And as John says, they're not even in the picture for relegation, mm. top yeah. half. Sean Dyche, former Watford manager. I'd like to end this mm. on the first Watford manager I ever worked with mm. as, a, as a young kid, you know, jacking in my A-levels at school and working on a local paper, Graham Taylor. What struck me about him was his humanity and he, he had this ability to get on your wavelength really quickly. So with me, we used to talk about... The, the first sports book I ever owned was The Football Man by Arthur Hopcraft. And ironically enough, The Telegraph today are running a Graham Taylor column from 2003, mm. which is talking about that. 
he just taught me, well, he, he proved to me that the best coach is a teacher and his influence is not just seen on a training ground. Yeah. What were your memories of Graham? Well, we had regular sort of dealings with him on England trips as mm. much as anything. And he would be... Uh, uh, you this know, was when analyst, he was for radio and TV. Yeah. And he was just charm personified. There's always... It's funny, really, on the sort of the media bus, isn't there, basically, there's a sort of a few... There's a few sort of, you know, loud ones at the bus. I don't know who they might be. And um, <laughs> at, at the back of the bus. And then there's kind of the sort of the, the little BBC little sort of cluster in the middle of the bus there, really. And Graham would sort of sit there. And then there's all, you know, Graham would always get involved in the sort of the hijinks and the sort of the laughs with us. There's never, ever a moment without a smile on his face and um, always willing to join in the laughs and the giggles always asking about you and I think he's the yeah. most personable and friendly guy he was so open to sort of conversation you could have you know really good chats with him and he's someone that whenever you saw him he'd always stop and say hello how are you and have a chat mm -hmm. we talk about football but that it was that glint in his eye that basically whenever he saw you know a few of us regulars on the England pack no, we're always messing around, basically, back of the like, back, back of the bad boys at the back of the bus, basically, and just engage and just sort of have a laugh. Mm. And that's the biggest thing I think. I love someone with this great sense of humour, and he's definitely, he definitely had that. Definitely. And, and you know, I, I'm not having that he was bitter at his treatment. He, he was hurt by it, but I think he hid it really well. Yeah, I never got the impression. I mean, I only spoke to him. A few times, but always in the context of the press mm. pack, really. And um, I never got the impression that, that he... I mean, he, he, he was hurt, yes, scarred to a certain extent, but he wasn't bitter. He wasn't, he'd never sort of bring it up. And it was never, you you know, us and you when we were in those contexts. And he, he was just the most... He was the most charming bloke. I mean, he, I remember the, f the first time I met him, I think I, I was talking to a colleague of his at the BBC and Graham sort of wandered over and joined in the conversation and we, we sort of carried on because I obviously knew who he was. And he sort of broke off to introduce himself to me. He's like, Graham, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I should be doing this to you. I mean, this, but he just—he was just completely matter-of-fact about yeah. it. It's just what he did. He just, you know, no airs and graces. He just, yeah, football man. Yeah, lovely. Graham was a wonderful man. Teacher, father figure, friend. He was loved and he'll be missed. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.